Welcome to the Writer Dojo with your host, Steve Diamond. We're back. And Larry Correa. I pity the fool. Today's episode, Sequels. Everybody, welcome back to the Writer Dojo. Larry and I are back here with you. Just excited to be here again today. And today what we're going to do is we got really inspired by one of the very last questions that we we were starting to address at the end of our last supporter episode from Rick, from our boy Rick. And he asked, what are the tips and tricks, do's and don'ts, and nuts and bolts for writing a sequel? What are the biggest letdowns? And what do we need to keep in mind to avoid them? Rick, this is an awesome question because writing sequels is a freaking art form, in my opinion. Uh, it can be extremely rewarding. It's I think it can be very difficult because there's a lot of weird wonkiness in there. And as it happens, I mean, Larry and I, this is literally on our minds right now because we're, we're working on the sequel to Servants of War. Yeah. I was going to say your timing is absolutely impeccable on that. Um, and you've done this a lot, Larry. <laughs> I was actually thinking, okay, so number of sequels. Oh my gosh. I have done. Okay, so multiple Monster Hunters. Yeah. Son of the Black Sword. Hard Magic. Hard Magic. Dead Six. Dead Six. Even the End of the Storm. I was going to say the Privateer Press stuff. Uh, well, Lost Planet Homicide, multiple That's sequels true. of that now. That's true. Multiple Tom Strangers. Yeah. Uh, see, I've done Tom, sequels to Tom Stranger. And now we're doing more Servants of War. So, I mean, lots of sequels. Yeah, that's eight right there. You know, eight different universes I could think and, of. I've probably then, done more. And then you and I, we've we've written a lot of like sequel short stories to short stories. Yes, with repeatedly. our tombs, tombs and Lazarus stuff, yep. or tombs and Santos stuff. Um, you know, me, I, I, you know, I finished off the sequel to Residue, and then now we're working on the sequel to Servants. Hopefully, by the time this airs, will that be out? I don't know if it'll be out, but it'll be at the editor for sure. Okay, very cool. Very cool. Yeah, for sure. Very cool. I mean, I got nothing else to do right now. Yeah, so it's called Parasite, right? Yeah, Parasite. Yeah, so Parasite, sequel to Residue, but we'll be out shortly. Oh, yeah. So, Larry, writing a sequel. Oh, my gosh. It's such a, it's so, that's a, that's a, that's why when he had this question and I started thinking about it, it's like, that's a big one. That's a good It's one. a huge question. And it's one we don't talk about too often because on this show, we're doing writing advice. Mm -hmm. And for a lot of writers, they're working on their first book. Mm -hmm. They're trying to break in. Uh, and so we, I think we tend to focus on that guy. Yeah. As opposed to the guy that's already written some books and is going to try to capitalize on that success and get more out. And so, yeah, it's a totally different area. Well, and, and from our, our episode that we had with Tony Weisskopf a little bit ago, I remember one of the things she said was, um, always write your, you know, when you're submitting to Bain, especially, uh, yeah, I mean, look, series, series are what sell series sell, but write that first book as if it's standalone, but with series potential. Yes. You would you like, know? yeah, that's so, so business wise behind the scenes here, guys. And we've talked a little bit about this on the business episodes. We need to do another, um, uh, another royalty breakdown mm -hmm. that we did that one time, uh, where I took one of my royalty checks and I broke it. I, I didn't tell you guys the actual numbers, but I just gave percentages, you know, yeah. just so you guys can get an idea what writers, especially traditional published writers, what we live off of is our backlist. Um, so when a new book comes out, we get this big, nice, cool spike of sales off that new book. But more importantly, uh, what it does is it causes all your old books to come back up. Your old books keep getting restocked. People keep buying your old books. People keep seeing your name and they go back and they buy your old eBooks off of Amazon, uh, so on and so forth. And so I make most of my money off of backlist. So for me, sequels are huge because every time I write a sequel, I get a corresponding bump in all the prior existing books in the series. As new people see the new book, they go back and they read the old ones. It's well, kind of awesome. Well, think of the psychology. Again, you know, for me working at the bookstore in ye olden bookstore guy days. So when I worked at the bookstore, and I still do this when I, when I go to the bookstore on occasion to browse around, if I look on a shelf and I see a new book coming out, almost the very first thing I do is see, well, what else has the author written? Yep. And I realize, even I realize that that's not quite fair because just because it's their first book, 
Like I shouldn't penalize them for writing their first book. Yeah. But I think psychologically, a lot of readers do. It's not fair, but it's reality. It's reality. And heck, I mean, you know, we, we experience, we, I, I think, I think most fantasy authors experience this now. Whenever they have a new series come out, that first book seems to sell a little soft, regardless of who the author mm-hmm. is nowadays. And then once two or three comes out, people go, oh, oh, oh okay. This is established. I'm in now. They start to take you serious. And I've talked about this before. I've talked about it on the show and I talk about it a lot on the internet. Um, it's actually because the fantasy, especially the epic fantasy genre, got burned so bad this yeah. last decade because two of the biggest ones were Game of Thrones by George Martin and Name of the Wind by Patrick Rothfuss. Both of those started out, I mean, neither one's my thing, but both of them started out really popular, really huge mega hits that sold really, really well. Well, George's sold okay, and then the TV show came out, and then it blew up worth billions of dollars. Rothfuss's Name of the Wind still is a perennial bestseller. It's bizarre. But what happened with both of those is they made big promises to the readers, and readers got invested in this, and then they just kind of stopped. So Rothfuss wrote two, and then it's been like, what, 10 years since the last one came out? I think so, 10 or 12. And then Martin, it's been like 12 years since the last one came out. I've written 23 books since his last one came out. It's bull crap. It's just laziness. It's pathetic. It offends me as a a guy who grew up on a dairy farm. I'm I'm like offended on that level. But what happened is those two names were so big in fantasy that literally millions of readers saw that and they're like, well, you know what? I'm not going to read a fantasy series until it's done. Yeah. But the problem with that is if you're just Joe Schmo who doesn't have HBO money or perennial bestseller money or charity to live off of, <laughs> so what happens is like if you're just Joe Schmo regular writer and you write the first book and nobody buys it because they're going to wait to see if the series is done, well, guess what? You don't have enough money to live off of to write the other three or four books. Yeah. You're done. You got to move on to something else. It's now a financial loser. So those two guys killed. I don't know how many other great fantasy series. Yeah, because of those two dudes' laziness. Well, and and I want to key in on on one of the words that you mentioned before, and it was the promise. Now, in general, writers don't really owe readers anything. Yeah, we've talked about this before too. The, the whole unwritten contract thing no, is bullcrap. Bull it's yeah. If it's, it's not, not written down, it's not a contract. It's not a contract. It's just in um, your imagination. Now, here's what I will say. In general, when you, when you write a book, there are promises that you're making within your fiction. You're promising like, oh, I, you know, when, 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 when I start a story, I tend to introduce elements at the beginning that say, this is what, this is basically what I'm promising to write in this story. Um, I'm leaving threads hanging, which means I'm, I'm going to give you a sequel. And if you don't deliver on those promises, then bad things start happening to you in general. Yeah. Um, people start losing faith in you and losing trust in you. And as an author, if you don't have the trust of your readers, then then you're nothing. Right. You, you, you We've talked about this when we, we did the episode with Jack where we talked about marketing and your brand, your yeah. personal brand that you create as an author. Well, I mean, Rothfuss's brand right now is as a guy who doesn't deliver anything ever. Yeah, he's a Twitch streamer who wrote a couple books a decade ago. Yeah. You know? But then you got other guys like Brandon Sanderson, also epic fantasy author. He, if he starts a series and he says he's going to write this series, he probably his, already has. He, <laughs> he, yeah, he wrote it this you know this week. He wrote it last night. He wrote it last night. But his fans can take that to the bank, and they do, and they do quite literally, as we've seen because he has made. We 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 had an episode where we broke down that Man, Kickstarter. Amazing, he made millions and millions and millions of dollars. But you know what? That's because he cultivated his fan base, and he. And he made good on promises. They trust him. Implicit or explicit. Yeah. He said, I'm going to do this, this, and this. And he did that. Mm-hmm. He delivers. So, Larry, when, when we talk about sequels, how do you make that? How do you deliver in a sequel? So, my thing is, I love writing sequels. And for me, they're easy to deliver because I put in all this work in the first book, building worlds and building characters. And whichever character survived the first book, you know, <laughs> I've established all this hard work already. To me, it is a no-brainer to continue the adventure. 
I love writing sequels. In fact, I've written, you know, probably realistically most of my books are a sequel. Well, I mean, every book after the first one is technically a sequel, exactly. right? Exactly. So I mean, of your 27 whatever <laughs> books, like 20 of them are sequels. Yeah, pretty much. And so what I do is I, I to me, the thing is, like, so so I like to, uh, as we said when we were talking to Tony Weisskopf, write the first book in a way that if this turns out to be a financial dud, you can walk away. But it still has enough of a satisfying conclusion that that story arc contained within that book is satisfactorily wrapped up. Boom. It's an awesome book. It stands alone. You can walk away and be good. Um, but I also like to leave enough stuff in that book that it's like little bits here and there. Um, little little glimpses into the world beyond the, or, or the other stuff that exists. References to, to people's pasts. Uh, references to their future. Okay, so here's an example is Gunrunner, uh, which there probably will not be a sequel to. Gunrunner is, um, I love this book. It's a sci-fi novel I wrote with John Brown. Yeah, it's fun. It's a good book. It's a fun sci-fi adventure book. And I did have a lot of threads in there. John and I put a lot of threads in there of a greater universe that we could tell more stories, uh, even with the same characters. We could continue on with the main, especially with the main character, um, Jackson and Jane. Uh, both of those had a lot of stuff that, that, that we could do more with. Problem was that book came out at the height of the pandemic. Yeah. Um, yeah. Literally, literally came out when like 97% of the bookstores in America were closed. Everything was dead. In audio, no one was even commuting. There was no yeah. commuters. Yeah. <laughs> so like, so people weren't buying audiobooks. They weren't buying uh, physical books. I mean, I still sold some eBooks, but it just didn't do what my normal stuff did. So it never had that, you know, it never had that big, huge hit like like all my other series. So on that one, uh, it did, however, have a satisfying arc. So we could stop right there and walk away. That said, Lost Planet Homicide set in the same universe, but it's an entirely different series. And so I've been just doing that on Audible. So it's one of those, you make a promise, but that way if you have to walk away for business reasons, you're good to go. Um, no other ones like monster hunter. I let, like I wrote it once again, satisfying conclusion, but plenty of little bits, pieces, uh, little, little, little hooks. And in fact, even the epilogue fully sets up the whole second book. However, if I needed to walk away at that point, I could have. And plus that was my first book. I, I very much thought I would have to walk away. I had no idea it was going to be a hit and it blew up huge. And now that, that series is gigantic. So it just kind of depends. Hard Magic, same thing. Uh, it has a big finale, takes care of the big bad guy of the first book. Everybody could have just walked away and went along with their wives at the end of Hard Magic, except it did really good. So again, I continued it. So Rick asked some of the things about do's and don'ts when it comes to writing sequels. Now, so, so I want to I address this before we go to break. This will be kind of our, our lead into the break question. One of the things that... that that I've seen a lot of, uh, and I was very cognizant of this when I was writing, uh, when I was writing Parasite, and, and this is more of a don't, a do's and don'ts sort of a thing, but I find it very interesting, the balancing act of how you address what came before without just basically just giving you a summary of like, and here's what happened previously on the Jack Bishop series or previously on Monster Hunter International. Yeah. Like, the, I, I've seen many many an author just ham-fisted, like just shove it down your throat, here's what happened. Yeah. And it, and it reads poorly. And it then does. I've seen other people where, where they handle it just effortlessly, where it just flows. You're just like, oh, yeah, that did happen. That was really cool. That's one of the hardest parts about writing a sequel is remembering what you have to recap and what you don't, and dividing those two. A lot of writers feel like, I got to recap the whole first book. Well, that's that's a complete waste of time because they just read the first book. Well, and, and if they really like it, they can go read it again. They can go read it again. No, honestly, hit the high points and do it in a way that it's natural and flowing in the vibe of the book. So if I need to reference stuff that happened in the in the earlier in this, especially like Monster Hunter, it's eight books long now, right? It's long. That's a long series. If I need to reference something that happened in book one, I'm going to just do it in conversation or recollection. I'm not going to info dump it. I'm not going to give you 
you know, but remember back in book one, this, this, and this happened. Well, ha ha, it means this. No, no, no. You just do it smooth. Okay. Yeah. I was like, oh man, it's this guy again. Yeah. I remembered when we did such and such with him, yeah. you know, and then the reader's like, oh yeah, that guy. It's like, ha. Remember when he picked you up and slapped you and threw you on your head? That was yeah. awesome. Yeah. You know, so, so, so it's little tiny bits like that, smooth. Don't, don't ever, though that said, you know, previously on, and TV shows can do that. I actually was really tempted with Audible to see if we could do, because it was a gritty cop show. Oh, yeah. To do previously on Lost Planet. And to, except it didn't really work with audio only. Oh, man, that would have been really interesting. That was actually, because I actually, and I ran that past Steve uh, at Audible. I was like, what if we didn't? He's like, you know, he's like, I get it. And he's like, because we were actually going to take clips from the previous yeah. audiobook, like straight out clips. Yeah. Except that it was, it was too, in narration, you know, the narrator can establish who is speaking. But when you just take clips from yeah, that. it doesn't work. It, it's really, really difficult. Without the visual aspect with it. Yeah. See, that's the thing. The shows have a visual aspect. Plus, they have multiple actors, so it's different voices. Mm-hmm. And so it's very different. But it was so tempting. So oh, that would be really interesting. Wouldn't that be cool? Yeah. It just, and I actually tried putting one together, but it just didn't work. Yeah. And so we're just going to run it normal. Now, but the, the, that was pretty wild. The other thing that I've seen that, that does work okay for me, and this is this is so that you can more or less avoid all of this completely. And that is uh, sort of a what came before, like three paragraph, four paragraph summary, which I'm pretty convinced is basically just the, uh, uh, just like the synopsis of the, of the previous book that they just pasted yeah. in the front. Uh, you know that they that they write for their for their editor or publishing house. It's almost like the back cover blurb. Oh, of the totally first is. Book. Yeah, but with a little extra detail. Yeah. Um, you know, I'll admit that sometimes I don't mind that, especially if it's been a while. Or look, if you read a lot of books like I used to, mm-hmm. oftentimes all the books start kind of getting muddled in my head. Yeah. And so having a like I, I want to say was it Joe Abercrombie? I think Joe Abercrombie did this. And a lot of fantasy authors have done this. They just say, here's what came before. This pot, this guy did this thing. This guy did this thing. This person died too bad. The end. And you're like, oh, oh yeah, I remember now. I remember that now. Yeah. And then, and then you kind of feel like you have just a quick paragraph sort of thing and, and you go in. I've seen that be successful. My opinion, my humble opinion is if you're going to do that, I almost feel like I want it in the same tone as the story. So it feels like it's part of the story instead yeah. of just this, like the poem at the beginning of, of a Tolkien chapter that I skip. Uh, I'd rather it be interesting and related. Yeah. I think you could do it that way and do like the, you know, previously on and yeah. have it. But I, I think you would have to tread carefully in a way to make it so it feels natural and, and feels like it should be there. Uh, like obviously Joe Abercrombie is, he's good. Like he's really good. Yeah, it turns out that guy's okay. Yeah, he he does all right. So like Joe Abercrombie can can do it and do it smooth. Honestly, so uh, the best way to answer that, Rick, is it depends. And I don't think there's a right way or a wrong way to do it as long as you do it well. Yeah. Just main thing is don't overdo it. Don't beat him over the head with it. Don't don't do the maiden butler conversation uh. as you know. Blah, 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 blah. Because the longer the series gets, the more and more you have to do that. To, if I remember right, I'm trying to, there's, there's this one epic fantasy series. I'm trying not to bag on anybody. But there's a big epic fantasy series where like the later books in the series were like half of each of the books was recapping stuff uh-huh. that happened in the prior books. Yeah. Because they had like t- a cast of, you know, we talked about this in the third person episode. They have a cast of 10,000 point of view characters they got to catch up on. And you only care about four of them, yeah. <laughs> you know. So there's that. Um, so to don't go overboard on the recap. All right. When we come back, we're going to take our quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about um, some of the more nuts and bolts of writing the sequel, as Rick is asking. And then what are some big letdowns, and what can we do to avoid those? So we'll be right back. Meet Jack Bishop. A normal kid at a normal school who is shocked to discover that he has the unexpected ability to see psychic residue left behind by both murder victims and monsters. When his father is abducted from the mysterious company where he works as head of security, Jack teams up with fellow student and mind reader Alexandra to search for his father and stop the series of murders happening in his hometown before it is too late. 
Steve Diamond's debut novel, Residue, is a young adult supernatural thriller for readers looking for action, suspense, humor, and horror. Residue is available on Amazon or wherever books are sold. Pick up your copy today. And welcome back. During the break, we hacked our brains out, um, cleared our throats about 78 times. Welcome, We're getting there. Welcome to the uh, Wasatch Front. Nice. Uh, all right. So in the previous section, Larry, in the, in the top of the episode, we were talking about kind of the do's and don'ts of, of writing a sequel. And uh, part of why we actually like writing sequels, but also some of the challenges and the things that we've seen from other people. Now, what I want to do is talk a little bit about the nuts and bolts of it, how we approach actually writing said sequel, whether we're talking about a novel or a sequel short story or whatever. How do we actually nuts and bolts approach writing that sequel? I look at it like this. It's a continue. It has to be a continuation of the first one. So you have certain characters and universe and theme and things that are coming from the first book. But the second book's got to be its own thing. It's got to have strength on its own. It can't just exist uh, as a continuation of the first one. It, it sometimes if you're starting a, a – like Lord of the Rings is basically one giant novel that got cut into three parts. Yeah, sure. Right? So it's different. Yeah. But I'm talking about like you wrote the first book you know, a couple years ago or last year or whatever. It's one and done. And now it was successful. You want to come back and revisit it. You got to make sure number two is good. It's got to stand on its own. It's got to be its own thing. It's got to be its own book. It's got to be strong on its own. And when I say what I'm thinking like that is you've got to learn how to produce and you got to learn how to create and – We've seen this all the time, and I've talked about the show before. You've seen this, all these different authors, where they have one book, and it's the first book usually, and it's a giant mega hit, right? There's all this pressure for a sequel, and then the number two book comes out, and it's not as good, and everybody kind of pans it. Kind of the sophomore slump, as they say. Sophomore slump. Third book comes out, it's crap, and then you never see this person again. Yeah, we see a lot of that. We've, we've, we can all name different authors that have done the same thing. And what it is is because they put all this effort into book one for usually a long time, polishing a turd, right? They don't know how to create on demand. So book two, they don't have years and years to polish that turd. So it's just a turd. And then book three, <laughs> now after book two got panned, book three comes out and they panicked and they don't know what the hell they're doing and book three sucks. And that's it for their career. So when you go back to number two, you need to like reset, refocus, and create the best book you can. I, I don't buy into the sophomore slump thing as inevitability. I think that I think you can have book two be just as good or better than book one. Well, in, one of the authors I always talk about is Stephen Erickson. I love Stephen Erickson. Yeah, I think you, his books you, you are talk amazing. About Stephen Erickson all the time. I think his I think his Miles and Book of the Fallen series, ten book series, is freaking awesome. Yeah, you and Jim Mintz. Oh yeah. Oh, me. That this is yeah. this is how me and Jim Mintz became friends. Yeah. Um, well, that and and ridiculous RPG games. Yes. Um, and good food. And good food. <laughs> uh, it turns out we, we all like the same things. But um, book two in that series and book three are some of my favorite books ever. Mm -hmm. Because they're so good and they're so much better than the first book. First book's pretty good. Um, but book two and book three, especially book three, man, those books are just obscenely good. Yeah. They're so good. It's so like, yeah, to your point, the sophomore slump is not an inevitability. Well, if you were to ask most people, like, what's the best Monster Hunter book? They'd probably say number five. Three or five. Three or five. Yeah. Yeah. If you, for and, me, it's three, but I'm a sucker for werewolf. Yeah. That's a good one. But if you ask people like, what's the best of hard magic? It's either one or three, mm. you know? Oh man. Cause Warbound is, Spellbound Gosh. is really good too. There's not a bad book in that series. All three of those are great. Yeah, um, they're all right there. Yeah. I See? I'd probably say three. Well, and personally, then, because yeah, I have a death scene in it. Well, and but, but Warbound is so good. It, yeah, it's, it's, it's really good. All three of those, like it's hard to say. We'll have to do another we'll have to do another episode on concluding a series. Yeah, actually, that's I've, a whole different. Because I've done game. that a, a few times now. Because that's a whole different game than what we're talking about here. Right. That's yeah. That's totally different. Um, but then, like the sequels, it's a weird thing, guys. So, I I 
tackle each one as if it's an individual project. So yes, it belongs to this universe. However, it is its own thing. Um, also, I've got books that end more open-ended than others, but it all just depends. Like Monster Hunter, I know is a continuing series. So I have the freedom to not wrap up every single big thread element. Well, and, and you've kind of earned that that level of trust and respect from your readers and from the publisher. Because every other year I give them another one of those. Yeah. And in between I wrote three other books for other series. And so, it, once again, it goes back to your personal branding. So, like, at the end of Monster Hunter Bloodlines, a lot of people are like, but you didn't tell us the next big thing. Because the next big thing is another 140,000 words of adventure. Yeah. You're like, yeah, hold on. Let me add a book on to the end of this Yeah, book. I can't put another book on to the end of this book. But I did wrap up all the main things of that book. But the Bloodlines, and Bloodlines is a really good book. But what it is, is it's just the first part of the next stage of this big, you know, cosmic war, right? And so... How much you want to include in the sequel is going to depend entirely upon what your overall goals for the sequel are and how big the series is. If you're writing a trilogy, totally different. Okay, so Son of the Black Sword, I pitched it to Tony Weisskopf as a trilogy. Your Bane trilogy? Yeah. I, well, and so the thing is, so, and and she loved the first book. Okay. and like, like Everybody loves the first yeah, book. Yeah, it's right? a great, it's actually it's one of the- It's freaking awesome. It's one of the best things I've ever written. And I'll put that up against any epic fantasy, sword or sorcery, oh, sword yeah. or sorcery out there. Well, the thing is, then I so Tony's like, "What's the overall saga? What's the what's the the series? What's the the, the trilogy?" So I said, "I told her the whole story. Like, this is what's going to happen. This is the outline." She's like, mm, "Okay, that's not three books." She's like, "That's five books at least." And I'm like, "No, that's three books." So then I went and I wrote um, House of Assassins, book two, and <laughs> book two, I got through half of my outline for book two. It was a complete book. And the second half of book two is Destroyer of Worlds, which is book three. So, yes, Tony Weisskopf is right. He's very smart. I was going to say, it turns out she's pretty good at this. She's been doing this a long time. So that became, (laughs) instead of a trilogy, that became a five-book series. Yeah. And I'm four books into that now. And, of course, (laughs) book four was basically my first half of what was originally in my idea, book three. Book five is the end of the series. So, and that comes out in April is, is book four. So... Very so, excited about that. So what I want to do, I, I find th- this might be a fun thought experiment for us, Larry, and for and for Rick and for the other people out there listening. Um, you know, so I want to talk about nuts and bolts, um, some of the potential letdowns that we're going to try to avoid in this. Mm, but yeah. you and I have been talking about the sequel to Servants, mm-hmm. okay, which uh, the tentative title for this is going to be called Instruments of Violence. Yep. Because it was a cool title. And I'm actually proud that I actually came up with a decent title for once. Yeah. Oh, well, we have to do an episode about titles. Ugh, it's it's the worst. <laughs> it's so hard. Cliff Notes version. It sucks. <laughs> um, so what I want to do is I want to take our listeners through kind of the, the esoteric kind of the process. The sky process of, of how you and I are sitting down and approaching this without actually giving them like, like, well, we're going to kill this thing and that thing in this. Well, first off, for step one was wait to hear back from the publisher if yeah. the first one didn't bomb. That was ma- it. Make sure the first one sold enough copies that it's uh, worth it. And it thank did. Goodness, thank goodness it, it did, did not bomb. Uh, and it, it takes a little while, you know, because you got to see, you know, how to do. Well, and 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 for traditionally published stuff, um, you do have to realize that, that there is a timeline in this. Well, because they sell the books to bookstores. Then bookstores have a time to return. Yep. So even if you have like what looks like really good sales at first, that doesn't mean yeah. anything if they return them all. Shipped a bunch of copies, but it yeah. doesn't matter if they ship them all back. Yeah, no, we actually had really good sell through. Uh, and so financially, book's doing great. And so, yeah, we're doing more, um, <coughs> which was, you know, good. Yeah. <laughs> <Woo>. <laughs> but you never know. And plus, at this point in my career, it's a little hard too, because I'm not competing against the market. I'm competing against myself. Right. So I'm in a stage of my career where my publishing house isn't just looking at, well, this book didn't do good or did good. It's like this book did okay, but it didn't do as good as a regular Larry Korea novel. So we'd rather have another regular Larry Korea novel than this experimental thing. So that's where I'm at in my career, Um, but it did good. So that's step one. Mm -hmm. Uh, Step two now is the brainstorm stage. Now, the first thing that, that you said to me 
when when this got official, officialized, whatever. We're writers. Uh, we speak English, I promise. We, totally. uh, you see, and I know you do this all the time. I know you do this with almost every project that you go through. And that's that what you do is you tend to uh, take the prior book in the series and listen to it in audio. Yes. As a refresher. I think that's very important um, because... And, and, I, and so that's what I started doing yep. in preparation because I remember hearing you say this a long time ago. And I thought, well, you know what? Larry's saying he's going to, I'm going to do that. I'm going to see how this, if that, is Larry full of crap? Maybe. I don't Some, know. Sometimes. Sometimes. Um, you know, food recommendations, he's terrible. <laughs> uh, so, I like everything. I can't help it. So I started listening to the audiobook of it and, and I found it very interesting. Uh, and I thought, and, and one of the very first things I thought was, oh, okay, yeah, Larry's right. Like, this is interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm hearing things. I'm, I'm remembering things. I'm, I'm hearing little pieces of plot point where I'm going, oh, yeah, we need to address it. In fact, we were talking about that earlier. Yep. Where I said, hey, remember in chapter one, there's this thing. We need to address that yep. in the second book. Yep. And, and, and there's a lot of these little things that when you're listening to the book, you're so far removed from it at this point that you're like, oh, like some of this stuff is, it, it becomes fresh in your mind and it, and it, and it channels old thoughts and it channels old story ideas that you had, old plot points. In fact, we were talking about that too, an old plot point that we were going to put in book one that we didn't have time for. Mm -hmm. We're like, ooh, we can do that in book two now. See, clearly, the, I, like, I like going back and reviewing the first book. And the best way for me to do that is audio because I want to hear... I, I already have my headcanon version of how it sounds, right? It's my story. I've wrote it. I, I read it a thousand times by the time it's done. But it's something entirely different by a, or another artist, a, a voice narrator, and their take on it. And it puts a lot of different unique perspective, and that, that helps me refresh. Also helps me remember all those little details. And I'll, I'll, a lot of times I'll make a, this is the point where, like, when I start doing the sequels, when I now start doing a nuts and bolts, character Bible, yep. world world Bible. So, like, um, basically, like, I have for the Son of the Black Sword, it's, like, probably eight pages long. And it's just, like, every single name that I've yep. used, every single place I've ever mentioned, and what the details are about it. And then I, so I go, hey, they're going to go to this city. What have I said about this city before? I can go, look, I will build that while I'm doing, while I'm listening to the audiobook. So I'll be there painting minis usually. Mm -hmm. I'll have a notepad and a, like a factoid will come up and I'll be like, ooh, and I'll write that down on my notepad. Or a um, uh, cool like thread that I forgot about will come up and I'm like, ooh, hey, I never wrote about that. And I'll write that down on my notepad. Then I will update the World Bible with that stuff. So I, at this point, basically, next step will be we'll need to do an actual world Bible for um, Servants of War to make sure we get all our factoids and yep. geography and countries. And this presents little stupid nitnoidy things that you'll get later on from readers like, in book four, you said so-and-so was left-handed, but in book nine, he was right-handed, you know? Yeah. You get that kind of thing. What were you thinking? Well, I'm human. Like, well, I was, <laughs> I was actually thinking about dinner that night. Uh, I was pretty hungry. Yeah, we make mistakes, but that helps minimize those kind of mistakes. Also, while you're doing that, there's tons of good ideas that come from that. So I'm a huge fan of review. And obviously, if your book is not an audio book, you can't do that. But go reread it. You know, get a fresh headspace, reread your book with fresh eyes, and make notes as you do it. You're like, wow. You know, I mentioned such and such. Well, I mentioned this lost ship. What does it mean? You know, what's what? Can I revisit that? Is there a story there? Well, and and, and one of the other things that that you and I started talking about was uh, was theme, overall theme. Yeah, we're like, we okay. actually stumbled onto one religious one on accident. Oh yeah, we saw a religious one, and 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 like just overall, like I don't know, like person theme sort of thing yeah where we're like huh you know it's really interesting when you contrast what we're doing versus what so-and-so is doing with his, with his or her books and and the way that they're solving problems is this way but i think that we're doing it this way and i, yeah. and I really like that theme and and so you, you start for us anyway you start developing kind of an internal way in which you want to drive the story uh, from, from point A to point B to C to D. And then I think one of the natural things that, that we start doing is, okay, well, 
what are some of the big world shaking events that we want to start thinking like, is, is that something that we include here? What do we do here? Who, uh, is this a story where we kill someone? Is this a story where we let people live? Is this a story where something big like this or that happens? And we start having those discussions. Yeah, because we've got some general ideas already when we were writing the first book of where yeah. this would go if we continued, but it was like a super loose outline. Mm-hmm. It's just a skeleton, just a skeleton of the world. And now is our chance to like flesh in a whole bunch more cool stuff. Yeah. Like, so some of the themes we stumbled onto actually were not stuff, were not things we planned, no. but just looking at it, it's like, wow, that's actually really kind of cool yeah. that we've got that. We can explore that. We can state that now. We can actually like put that out there as a, as an actual coherent part of the book. Well, and, and one of the benefits that we've had is, so we have 700 and something positive reviews on, on the interwebs and a lot of really cool reviews that have come out. Uh, and a lot of them point at very specific things. And one of the things that they, they seem, remember back in the beta reader things in the beta reader episodes, we talk about where if all of your beta readers are saying that there's a similar problem with certain things that maybe you should take a quick look at that scene and make sure there's not a problem Mm -hmm. with a lot of these positive reviews that have come out. We get to see what actually works for people. Yeah, it's, what are, it's what the are, inverse, right? What's the highlights? What, yeah. are, what do people mention? That we go, like? oh, and one of the things that, that, that I've seen a lot of in ours is, is, man, I really like how even in the grimness of some of this world, like characters like Alarian are heroes. They're good characters. Yeah. And, and that's kind of- he, He's trying to do the right thing. He's trying to do the right thing. And, and, and that reinforces stuff for me anyway, where I'm like, you know what? Yeah. Like we need to make sure that that is consistent, that that's how, that's who that character is. That from one book to the next, we don't forget what their voice is. Yeah. He works for the bad guys, but he's trying to do the right thing. But the thing is, we also discovered like religiously, there aren't any good guys in this, in this world. It's very, it's bad guy versus bad guy empire. Yeah. I mean, the empires are bad, but the people under them are are just people. They're humans. It was actually one of the, one of the reviews made me laugh and it just was one of those things was, Somebody, I think it was like, it was just like their idea on romance. They were putting their, like their sensibilities on it. And, um, they, cause they didn't like that. Well, spoiler alert, that Alarian and Natalia hook up, but it was like, okay, you got a 20 year old and like a 21 year old who just literally walked through hell together, you know, <laughs> gone through all this traumatic stuff together. And, uh, you know, it's like strapping young stud. And beautiful young woman, I'm shocked that they, those two hooked up. You know what I mean? That's yeah. like, I mean, come on, guys. <laughs> well, I'm not a freaking romance author. Well, plus, plus, these are not Christians. You know, these are not no. people who are, are one of one of them is like a pagan from the from the Siberian woods, whose patron's the Baba Yaga, and the other one is literally blessed by Artemis. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what do you expect from some of these people, right? You know, so come on, guys. Don't, 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 don't put your, don't, don't put your sensibilities upon others. So, of course they did. Now what, now Larry, what are some of the ways in which you think that, that we can avoid potential letdowns? Oh, geez. Okay. Now that one is honestly, that is such a hard one because I personally have not had a dud book yet. You know, knock on knock wood. Knock on wood. Um, where I've just bombed it. I've not, I've not, I mean, but it happens to all authors. I do my best to every time turn in a product that I am proud of and I do whatever I need to do to tell the best story I can and I fix whatever needs fixing and I swallow my pride and I do what I have to do. And I work in a timely manner so I can, I have time to do this stuff and turn in a good book. And then I have good editors I listen to. So how do you avoid letdown? I honestly, I would look at the sequel as I look at every other book. I just, I got to do the best that I can to give people something that I'm proud of. Well, and, and I think, I think what you said works for me and that works for me really well. And that's the, almost the humility aspect of it and oh, yeah. the swallow your pride aspect swallow of it. Swallow your pride. Um, I mean, look, you, you and I have been friends for ages now and, uh, looking, looking at the way that you and I interact with each other while writing, you and I as friends are friends. Yeah. 
Yeah. But you and I, when, when we're, when we're looking over each other's writing, we're very much, uh, we're very pragmatic about it. Oh, we're very honest about it too. Yeah. Neither one of us gets butthurt. No. Because we both have enough experience, uh, as writers and readers to recognize, you know, oftentimes when you criticize something that I do, I recognize because usually on a subconscious level, I know it ain't right. Mm-hmm. I know there's something that could be better. So almost every criticism you've ever given me of anything I've that I've written has been like I looked at it and said, "Yeah, that's fair. That's that's been that's been." There was usually something nagging me that I didn't know, mm-hmm. I didn't recognize it, like subconsciously I wasn't comfortable with it, and you'd be like, "You know." Have you thought of this? And I'm like, okay, that's legit. Yeah. Or the same thing happened um, w- with us as we finished off book one. You know, we looked at it, I turned it over to you, and, and we, we both kind of looked at it and said, yeah, that ending, that original ending doesn't work good enough. Yeah. It, it needs was, to be better. It was good. And the thing is, it was one of those. Oh, it was a good ending. I think for most authors, it would have been acceptable, perfectly acceptable. But it wasn't ending. good enough. No, it wasn't good enough. We could do better. Yeah. And so we did. And we did. And actually, the, the new ending was like, well, in the Damn. new ending, the new ending through, I don't know if it's through happenstance or providence or whatever you want to call it, it actually, hindsight being what it is, introduced to us what some of the very cool themes are that we're going to start exploring in, in, in the sequels. And it also, also put some of the characters, oh, this is one logistically too. Uh, this goes back to when you're writing book one. If you're, if you're doing stuff where you need people in a certain place... Or, or hooked up with other certain people, do that. You know, even if you're doing it in the epilogue, even if you're doing it at the very end of the cleanup of the first book, you know, if you need so-and-so and so-and-so to know each other or to be associated, by all means, get that in the first book. And we did. We actually laid yeah. really good groundwork in the first book. Because, like I said, we had the skeleton of an idea. Like, if this gets a sequel, how do we want to do it? And also, we, we, Tony had a lot of faith in us because clearly on the on the book of uh, on the cover it, of book one, it says one, book one. It says book one. Yeah, <laughs> which is pretty cool. So she has faith in us, but um, you know we still have to wait and make sure it does good. Yeah, but and it did. But um, we made sure at the end of the book that we put everybody where they needed to be to continue the adventure. So that's how we ho- that's how we put Amos with Alarian. Yeah, you know, at the end of the end of the book, and Kristoff. Well, I'm here. We're giving you know stuff away. Well, Needless to say, the four main POV characters are together. And they, and they have a common goal. Yeah. I if, mean, they all have different ideas of what that goal is. They have entirely wildly divergent motivations. Indeed. Um, but we set up like they have a common goal. Mm-hmm. And their motivations range from good to evil. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I, think, I think what it does is we, we built a solid foundation from book one upon which we can, we can build a skyscraper in book two. You know what I mean? Metaphorically speaking. Yeah. So what we're able to do then is in in order to avoid some of these letdowns, like we said, we're, we're asking, we're asking ourselves and each other like, okay, well, what does this mean? What are, what are the themes? Um, where do we want the characters to end up in the end? And does that feel right for those characters. And what were things that like we couldn't fit in the first book that like, man, that would have been cool if we could, but there was yeah. just not a place for it. Well, by golly, now we can put a place for it. Well, and frankly, um, and maybe I'm patting ourselves on the back a little too much here, but uh, we did some pretty freaking rad stuff in book one. Yeah. I mean, some of the, like the gas scenes. And, Those are brutal. And, 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 and walking through hell and... You know, even some of the fun scenes in, in the military academy sort of stuff. Yeah, those first and, that, that first act was yeah, great. Yeah, it's fun. Pet and, the Kitten still one of the best oh, things we've ever written. I, I, yeah, I, I just yeah. listened to that. Um, and it's it's a great scene. That's such a good scene. Uh, even my wife liked that scene. And she doesn't <laughs> like anything I write. But, she, uh, but so I look at those scenes and I'm like, man, those were so good. How do I top it? Mm-hmm. What can I do? And some of that is is... Well, you know, I, hopefully I've made, hopefully you and I've made the readers care enough about some of these characters to where we can, I can use some horror tropes, right? Like I can use fear and dread and put them in an actual real danger. And the reader goes, well, I mean, I'm pretty sure Larian's going to live through this, but 
Maybe not everyone around him. You know that, yeah, no, there's going to be a lot. There's going to be a lot of death and destruction. It's called instruments of violence, people. Yeah. What do you think is going to happen? And the thing is too, one of the things is like, like, like the whole bigger and better thing. You want to build on it and you want to grow it. Um, But a lot of people, they, they, they get this thing where they have to make every sequel more outlandish and more outlandish and more outlandish than the one that becomes. And then by the end you get fast and furious. (laughs) <laughs> you know, you know what I mean? We're, we're, they're, they're jumping cars out of space. Yeah. So, so fast and furious one is a movie about like, uh, the, a couple they, street racers. Yeah. Street racers. And a guy who's undercover. Who steal like TVs. They're like, like they weren't even, they were like big, <laughs> you know, big fat TVs back in the t- that days and VCRs are like stealing VCRs out of trucks. Right. And now they're like, know what I need? Know what I need? NOS. Yeah. And now they're jumping cars out of space with submarines and fighting cyborgs and, 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 and like anti-gravity devices. And Idris Elba says he's black Superman. Dude, actually the, 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 the Idris Elba versus the rock and Jason Statham movie. I watched that. It was so stupid, but it was actually fun. But, 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 but that, that series, that's a perfect example of like each one's gotten bigger and bigger. But if you do that bigger and bigger and bigger, what happens is, um, <laughs> Yeah, it gets a little nuts. And also, we're doing books. We're not doing movies. Yeah. Books have that. We don't have. We don't have the special effects and and spectacle. No, we don't. You know. And so the fact that the plots of those make no sense at all work because they're movies. They have spectacle. Just don't do like a. Just as long as we don't do a. You know, Last of the Jedi or uh. whatever the hell, Return of the Skywalkers. What the frick? Worst sequel ever. The Rise of Mary Sue. Oh my gosh. As long as we don't do that, we're good to go. In a world where characters don't matter <laughs> and previous fan bases don't exist. I, I, like Natalia actually has to work for what she's got, even though she's like literally blessed by the gods. It's like she is chosen by her god to to be a badass and she is not Ray. <laughs> Oh, she's working for every minute of her existence because Kristoff's a jerk face. Yeah. But but there's so many, and, and there's a lot of those threads. I think to avoid some of the letdown, as Rick is asking, one of the things is is to look at some of those character interactions and the struggles and the issues that they had in the first book and to take those to the next step. Whether yep. that's, maybe you're going to resolve some of them, whether maybe you're going to... Give them new ones. Uh, give them new issues to deal with or or whatever. Every character has an arc. They have short-term arcs and they have long-term arcs. So what part, what part of that long-term journey are the characters in, in the sequel? And, yep. and, and so you, we have to evaluate all that. Yeah, we have to say- These okay, the conversations that we're literally having. Where did we leave the characters at the end of the last one? What has developed for them since? And like, so we took Alarian in the first book from like, you know, uh, farm boy drafty to- Freaking war hero. War hero. And the thing is, but he's in a nation that like propagandizes their war heroes. So his face is now like on posters. Plus he's a good looking dude. Yeah. He's like a buff, young, handsome guy. Uh, so his his face is on posters all over the nation now. But when you're a war hero in a land or in a nation where that, that's effectively built on paranoia, I mean, there's lines in the book where they're like, "Stop being good, like just stop." Yeah, stop being a stop being an awesome. Just quit standing out. Yeah, you need to quit standing out. In, in fact, that's a line. Right? Yeah, well, yeah, because remember he got the, when he got the uh, when the commandant. Yeah, he impressed the commandant, and ergo. <laughs> Dude, that's bad news. Don't, yeah. don't, don't stand out. And then Natalia later says something to the effect of, you know, you're pretty bad at not standing out. Yeah. He can't help it. You know, cause he just wants to do the right thing. It's like in the Expanse series, Holden, for, for all of his, for all of his foibles, for, for the good, the bad, whatever, Holden always wants to do the right thing. Holden's actually a good paladin character. He is. He really is. He wants to do the right thing all the time, even if sometimes... That puts him at odds with everyone else. Yeah. And maybe, and maybe he thinks it's the right thing, but it's not. Um, and, but you never doubt him. And at the end, and, and at the end, people, he, he garners more respect than he, from, from the general populace and from the people in power. It's, he, he makes himself a target. Yep. And that's exactly where Alarian is at. Exactly. And, and he's, 
politically useful now, which he, oh. the last thing he wants to be in this empire is politically useful. No, you don't want to be politically anything in yes. this. And his, and yeah, so this is actually, so this is all stuff we're thinking through on the, on the sequel. Oh my gosh, this episode has gone really long. I just <laughs> looked at the clock. You're welcome. Yeah. Geez, this is a long one. Okay. Rick, wow, Rick. <laughs> Rick, you got your money's worth out of this episode, baby. And we just barely touched upon, <laughs> you know, what we should do is we should have another one about sequels after we, um. After we finish? Yeah. We should do, we should do another one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, let's do that. Okay, we're, Rick. We're going to revisit this. Rick, I want you to imagine, if you will, a TV. And on that TV, you're watching an episode of your favorite show and it's like the old Seinfeld skit. Suddenly you realize there's only five minutes left or in this case, like 30 seconds. Yeah. And you're like, wait, there's, there's no way they can wrap this up in the short time left. And then the dreaded words come on the screen to be continued. I think this might be our longest episode. <laughs> nah, we went longer on one. Okay. But, uh, just one, I think. But Rick... I think Larry's right. I think we're going to come back to this episode after we've written the sequel. And we'll, and we'll without spoiling the book, obviously, because you got to buy it. Uh, we'll touch on some of, the, some of these conversations. And we'll tell you if we actually had these conversations, the challenges that we had. Um, if anything surprising happened to us as we were going through the process. Uh, and what we did to uh, some of the things that we, we found as we were writing the sequel. And, and we'll kind of give you the play-by-play. So with that, this is the end of our very, very long episode. Congratulations, everybody. See, if you're a supporter, sometimes, sometimes you get special treatment like this. Uh, and we give you really, really long-winded answers to a question of, hey, how do you write a sequel? So Rick, buddy, we love you. Thank you for the awesome question. For all the other supporters out there, thank you again for all of your kind words, for your support. Uh, we appreciate all of you to death. Especially me to death. I'm a horror author. Drink. I'll kill you. So, with all that said, this is the Writer Dojo. Thank you very much, and we'll see you on the next one. Writer Dojo is Steve Diamond and Larry Korea. Produced by Jack Wilder and Bear and Hair Studios. Theme song, Word Mercenaries by Craig Naibo. New episodes come out every Wednesday wherever you stream your content. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can help support us by going to anchor.fm slash writerdojo, by leaving a five-star rating and review, and by helping to spread the word. To advertise on the Writer Dojo, email ads at writerdojo.com. All questions and comments can be emailed to questions at writerdojo.com. I, I run primarily on Mountain Dew and Spite. Mm-hmm.